Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast. Book 11, Chapter 3, Kutuzov seems to have an entirely different outlook of the defense of Moscow than the generals around him. Is he being honest? Are the generals being honest? What do you think of his strategy to not really talk about the upcoming battle, just sit back and listen? I think that strategy is very, very Kutuzov of Kutuzov. Sit back, listen, pay attention. Don't give anything away. And just wait. He, um... He knows they can't win a battle in Moscow, though, doesn't he? Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, It's difficult to judge Kutuzov's actions or strategy since we already know the outcome. Was retreating beyond Moscow, abandoning the city, the best strategy? I mean, it worked, and saved tens if not hundreds of thousands of Russian lives. It saved Russia. It destroyed Napoleonic France. With all this in mind, can we really give a fair assessment to the wisdom of Kutuzov's actions? What would have happened had he done something different? Well, it's tough to say, isn't it? I think it was an unexpected move, but yeah, he left them Moscow. He did the same thing as he did earlier in that smaller town where um, as the French moved in to invade it, the Russians just essentially destroyed the town. They burnt their own, you know, um, food you know, any food that was going to get left behind in silos or in farms, they burnt it down. They destroyed the town and then said, here you go, you can have it, and nicked off further deeper into Russia, leaving the French with, yes, they did win the town, but there's nothing left of the town. Now he's employing a similar tactic here in Moscow. Sure, have Moscow, but we're destroying it before we go. We're not leaving you anything of value. It's, uh, it's kind of a counterintuitive strategy, but in a way, you could say, you know, it's um, it saved thousands of Russian people. It saved Russia, could you say that? It destroyed Napoleonic France, could you say that? I don't know if that's a bit of a stretch, but sure, you know, it uh, certainly wasn't a pleasant experience for Napoleon and his troops to finally win this great city and find there's not really much left of it. Let's read chapter 3. Oh, wait, hang on, there's one more comment I want to read. Tahiti Yeeti. <clears throat> Great name. Says, hey, fellow readers. Just thought I'd pop in and say that I'm excited to be joining you from here on out. I initially started War and Peace about a year ago, took a hiatus, but got back into it recently and noticed I wasn't too far behind you all. And now I'm caught up, looking forward to having people to discuss it with. Cheers. Welcome back. Welcome to the to the club. I hope that you uh, stick with the one chapter per day now and and kind of finish it off together with all of us. Alright, let's read chapter 3. When Ermolov, having been sent by Kutuzov to inspect the position, told the field marshal that it was impossible to fight there because Moscow and that they must retreat. Sorry, read that wrong. When Ermolov, having been sent to by Kutuzov to inspect the position, told the field marshal that it was impossible to fight there before Moscow and that they must retreat, Kutuzov looked at him in silence. Give me your hand. Hey, wait, did I read this yesterday? I did read this yesterday. I'm reading the wrong chapter. <clears throat> okay, let's read chapter 4, which is the one I actually am supposed to be reading. My bad. 
Chapter 4 goes like this. The Council of War began to assemble at 2 in the afternoon in the better and roomier part of, Sa- of Andrew Savotsyanov's hut. The men, women and children of the large peasant family crowded into the back room across the passage. Only Malasha, Andrew's six-year-old granddaughter, whom His Serene Highness had petted and to whom he had given a lump of sugar while drinking his tea, remained on the top of the brick oven in the larger room. Malasha looked down from the oven with shy delight at the faces, uniforms and decorations of the generals, who one after another came into the room and sat down on the broad benches in the corner under the icons. Grandad himself, as Malasha, in her own mind called Kutuzov, sat apart in a dark corner behind the oven. He sat sunk deep in a folding armchair and continually cleared his throat and pulled at the collar of his coat, which, though it was unbuttoned, still seemed to pinch his neck. Those who entered went up one by one to the field marshal. He pressed their hands and some and at, of some and nodded to others. His adjutant, Kesarov, was about to draw back the curtain of the window. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Uh, of the window facing Kutuzov. But the latter moved his hand angrily, and Kesarov understood that His Serene Highness did not wish to f- his face to be seen. Um, just before we continue, there's a really great uh, painting, an old painting of this scene uh, and I want to I'll, I'll put it in the the, the comments um, for the for the podcast but I'm just trying to find it uh, I don't know what the painting's called I'm gonna do a quick bit of googling Malaysia Malasha that was the name of the girl Malasha images nope not that Kutuzov, how do you spell Kutuzov? Um, nah, look, I can't find it. I'll have to put it in the comments. And in tomorrow's episode, I'll tell you what to Google to see it, in case you're not a Redditor and you don't go on, on the comments every day. Um, I'll also tell you what to Google so we can find it. I can't find it yet. I'll have to do a bit of Google... Google, what do they call it? Google Foo. All right, round the peasant deal table, on which lay maps, plans, pencils, and papers, so many people gathered that the orderlies brought in another bench and put it beside the table. Ermolov, Kesarov, and Toll, who had just arrived, sat down on this bench in the foremost place, immediately under the icons, sat Barclay de Tolly, his high forehead merging into his bald crown. He had a St. George's cross around his neck and looked pale and ill. He had been feverish for two days and was now shivering and in pain. Beside him sat Uvarov, uh, who, ha- who with rapid gesticulations was giving him some information, speaking in low tones, as they all did. Chubby little Do- uh, Dokturov was listening attentively, with eyebrows raised and arms folded on his stomach. On the other side sat Count Osterman Tolstoy, seemingly absorbed in his own thoughts. His broad head, 
with its bold features and glittering eyes, was resting on his hand. Rayevsky, twitching forward the black hair of his temples, as was his habit, glanced now at Kutuzov and now at the door with a look of impatience. Konovnitsin's firm, handsome and kindly face was lit up by a tender, sly smile. His glance met Malasha's, and the expression of his eyes caused the little girl to smile. They were all waiting for Benningson, who, on the pretext of inspecting the position, was finishing his savoury dinner. They waited for him from four till six o'clock, and did not begin their deliberations all that time, but talked in low tones of other matters. Only when Benningson had entered the hut did Kutuzov leave his corner and draw toward the table, but not near enough for the candles that had been placed there to light up his face. Benningson opened the council with the question, are we to abandon Russia's ancient and sacred capital without a struggle, or are we to defend it? A prolonged and general silence followed. There was a frown on every face, and only Kutuzov's angry grunts and occasional cough broke the silence. All eyes were gazing at him. Malasha, too, looked at Grandad. She was nearest to him and saw how his face puckered. He seemed about to cry, but this did not last long. Russia's ancient and sacred capital, he suddenly said, repeating Benningson's word in an angry voice, and thereby drawing attention to the false note in them. Allow me to tell you, Your Excellency, that that question has no meaning for a Russian. He lurched his heavy body forward. Such a question cannot be put. It is senseless. The question I have asked these gentlemen to meet to discuss is a military one. The question is that of saving Russia. Is it better to give up Moscow without a battle, or, by accepting battle, to risk losing the army as well as Moscow? That is the question on which I want your opinion. And he sank back in his chair. The discussion began. Benningson did not yet consider his game lost, admitting the view of Barclay and others that a defensive battle at Philly was impossible. But imbued with Russian patriotism and the love of Moscow, he proposed to move troops from the right to the left flank during the night and attack the French right flank the following day. Opinions were divided and arguments were advanced for and against that project. Ermolov, Doktorov and Rayevsky agreed with Benningson. <clears throat> Whether feeling it necessary to make a sacrifice before abandoning the, cap- abandoning the capital, or guided by other personal considerations, these generals seemed not to understand that this council could not alter the inevitable course of events that, the Moscow, that Moscow was in effect already abandoned. The other generals, however, understood it, and leaving aside the question of Moscow, spoke of the direction the army should take in its retreat. Malasha, who kept her eyes fixed on what was going on before her, understood the meaning of the council differently. It seemed to her that it was only a personal struggle between Grandad and Longcoat, as she termed Benningson. She saw that they grew spiteful when they spoke to one another, and in her heart she sided with Grandad. In the midst of the conversation, she noticed Grandad give Benningson a quick, subtle glance, and then her joys... To her joys, she saw that Grandad said something to Longcoat, which settled him. Benningson suddenly reddened and paced angrily up and down the room. What so affected him was Kutuzov's calm and quiet comment on the advantage or disadvantage of Benningson's proposal to move troops by night from the right to the left flank to attack the French right wing. Gentlemen, 
said Kutuzov. I cannot approve of the Count's plan. Moving troops in close proximity to an enemy is always dangerous, and military history supports that view. For instance, Kutuzov seemed to reflect, searching for an example. Then with a clear, naive look at Bennigsen, he added, Oh yes, take the Battle of Friedland, which I think the Count well remembers, and which was not fully successful, only because our troops were arranged too near the enemy. There followed a momentary pause, which seemed very long to them all. The discussion recommenced, but pauses frequently occurred and they all felt that there was no more to be said. During one of these pauses, Kutuzov heaved a deep sigh as if preparing to speak. They all looked at him. Well, gentlemen, I see that it is I who will have to pay for the broken crockery. <coughs> Excuse me. Said he, and rising slowly, he moved to the table. Gentlemen, I have heard your views. Some of you will not agree with me, but I... He paused. By the authority entrusted to me by my sovereign and country, order a retreat. After that, the generals began to disperse with the solemnity solemnity, and circumspect silence of people who are leaving after a funeral. Some of the generals, in low tones and in a strain very different from the way they had spoken during the council, communicated something to the commander-in-chief. Malasha, who had long been expected for supper, climbed carefully backwards down from the oven, her bare little feet catching at its projections and slipping between the legs of the generals she darted out of the room, when he had dismissed the generals, Kutuzov sat a long time with his elbows on the table, thinking always of the same terrible question. When, when did abandonment of Moscow become inevitable? When was that done with which settled the matter? And who was to blame for it? I did not expect this, said he to his adjutant, Schneider. When the latter came in late that night, I did not expect this. I did not think this would happen. You should take some rest, your serene highness, replied Schneider. But no, they shall eat horse flesh yet, like the Turks, exclaimed Kutuzov, without replying, striking the table with his podgy fist. They shall too, if only. Alright, there we go. There's another chapter for you. Have your say about it over on the subreddit. Thank you for listening and I will see you tomorrow.